Well, hello, Grace and Glory, and anyone else who is joining us online. This this recording today is going to be half <laughs> recorded just from our online audience and half of our live recording from this previous Sunday. Um, we had some audio problems. We're always every once in a while we discover some new thing that can go wrong when you're when you're recording things online and trying to do live streaming. And this Sunday we discovered a new thing that you can do and have to fix and lost part of the sermon. So so I'm filling in that part that we lost as best that I can, <laughs> not live. So now you're coming to me from my office at home. So uh, we're continuing uh, this week in our series called Fruitful, The Freedom of Following Jesus. We've been looking at the character qualities that uh, Paul lays out in Galatians chapter 5, popularly called the fruits of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. It's actually singular, as in one character quality that we develop with many facets. And that character would be the character of Jesus, something that, that God does in us through the power of the Holy Spirit to help us grow into the image bearers that God made us to be since the beginning. Help us, help God helping us become the people that deep down we all want to, to be, but cannot become without God's help. So this week we've been looking at, we're going to look at the fruit of goodness. Uh, it's one of the challenging, I think, topics because this idea of goodness is a very general topic and it's also very general in our culture. Um, and so um, it's, you know, it's confusing to know what it means to be good. We use this term in so many different ways in our culture. Uh, we'll say things like good day. Uh, I had some uh, good luck or good. I have some good food or I'm hoping to have a good day or, you know, those kind of things. And and um, I also, on the other hand, it, it can be confusing because good, I think, in many ways is associated with being kind of just nice person and it's seen as being a little bit uncool. It's probably a little more cool to be edgy. I mean, I remember in high school, we would say a lot that the good guys have trouble getting the girls because it seems like they all want a bad boy. Um, and so our culture, I think in some ways everybody wants to be good, but but not too good. I mean, if you think about it, no one no one sings songs about being good, There's but there's all kinds of songs about about being bad. You know, you think I think back to the the song uh from the 80s Bad by Michael Jackson, right? We have I'm bad, I'm bad. You know it, right? And then there's the famous song Bad to the Bone by George Thorogood. He he says uh on the day I was born, the nurses all gathered round and they gazed in wide wonder at the joy they had found. The, the head nurse spoke up and she said, "Leave this one alone. She could tell right away." That I was what? Bad to the bone. That's right. Bad, right? And then there's my favorite, the cops theme song from when I was a kid, you know. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you, right? So we we glorify in many ways in our culture being bad. I mean, look at the look in pop culture. it's very common if someone were to say something like, Are you a good person? The answer would be, well, I'm not a good person, but I'm trying. Right? You see that in country music all the time. You see that. And and we don't really produce art about good people as much as we produce art about bad people or seeing the good in people that are imperfect. 
That is much of our art and our culture. And so I think the idea of being good, it kind of gets this bad rap. Um, and maybe good is seen as being kind of boring because in our culture, being good is just maybe the absence of being really, really bad. Like if your mom says to, to the kids, the mom says to the kids, you know, I'm, I'm going to the store, be be good. The, um, the, the kid that, that basically means don't burn anything down, right? Like, like, don't, don't burn the house down. Don't, don't, you know, destroy the cat. <laughs> don't. And it doesn't mean like go out and do good works. But in the Bible, good is much more beautiful. Good is seen in Jesus most most perfectly in the goodness that we see in Jesus Christ. And it's not just being nice. It's not just avoiding bad things, but we see it in Jesus as goodness is Jesus re- resisting temptation so that he can fulfill the calling that God has on his life. Good in Jesus is, is him uh, reaching out to the lost, reaching out to sinners and tax collectors who have been ignored, reaching out and elevating women who have been oppressed and overlooked, reaching out to Samaritans who have gone through abuse and racism and reaching out to, to them and saying, look, God has a plan for your life and God loves you. You know, good is seen in Jesus in the fact that he spoke truth to powerful people regardless of the consequences, and was willing to go and die for what he believed in so that he might change the world. When you see good in God's character and in in Jesus's character, it's this beautiful thing that almost everyone can be drawn to and attracted to. That's the kind of good that God wants to produce in us. A goodness that is beautiful, that brings change to the world around us. So I want to look at what the scriptures say about goodness and how we can start living in the very character of God and his goodness. So I think at every level, almost everybody wants to be good. So let's uh, look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and then we will also look at Micah chapter 6. So first, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited provoking one another and envying one another. And then in Micah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions? the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of God. Let's let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We know that it's life, that it's meant to be like, like water, on a, uh, to a to a thirsty human. It's meant to be like food to, to our souls, which are 
are hungry to be fed with something that might satisfy and nourish us, God. I pray today, as we listen to your word, as as we share from it, I pray you'd be and help me to speak it faithfully, Lord God. I pray people who are listening would be able to hear it as your word, Lord, and not just my word, but they would hear your word coming through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring change and love and grace to their life, Lord, to help them become the people they deep down are designed to be and want to be, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to look at three things briefly. We're going to look at, first of all, we're going to look at what it doesn't mean to be good, as the passage talks about in Micah, what how we don't become good people. And the second, it gives us three things, three keys to what it looks like to be good. And, and then we'll close with how we can grow into that. So first, what it doesn't mean to be good. Notice what he says here. With what shall I come before the Lord? Now, this is in our culture, that might not sound like anything to do with goodness. But remember, he said at the end in verse eight, he says, the Lord has told you what it is to be good. The topic of this passage is what it means to live the good life. It starts by saying, with what shall I come before the Lord? Because in this culture, there was you could no one could fathom in just about any place of the world being good without a connection to God, without a relationship with God, without some kind of favor from God. Now, I know in our culture, we have atheism and all kinds of ways in which we try to live our life without God. But but I think these two two things about what it means, what it doesn't mean to be good, still applies to us today. He says, "With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before God on on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of old?" This this first way to try to be good in the wrong way is to try to earn our good reputation. By buying it through sacrifice. He's saying, you know, there's this idea of this burnt offering that they're bringing, and they're bringing, it says, thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil. He's like, even if I brought that, was that what the Lord wants from me to be good and to get in right relationship with Him and to get His ble- get the blessings of life? And God says, is saying, is saying, no, that's not how you do it. The, the burnt offering was um, an offering that's different than the sin offering. A sin offering is for sin. The burnt offering was was something that was wholly consumed and intended to express one's devotion, commitment, and complete surrender to God. So you picture this. This is like it's like Micah is saying, "What if I offered God my whole life? Would that be the way I could buy my favor, buy God's blessing, buy the good life?" And you think about it today, and even in our secular culture, we have this concept that anything you want has a price. That you that everyone to earn someone's favor, everyone has a price. And this is a way in which Micah is joking around and saying, "Well, what's God's price to earn His favor? To ultimately get what you want, though." And Mike is saying, and the scriptures say over and over again, that's not how a relationship with God works. That's not how it works to become, to build character. You can't buy character and you can't buy a relationship with God. That's the first way to not try to get it, is to try to buy it through, is to try to earn it or to try to look good by by gaining favor with other people. No, there, it has to be something that happens deeper inside of us and 
happens through having an actual honest relationship with God. The second way to not become good is to try to is to try to atone for your sins or to punish yourself for it. To try to pay for all of the wrong things that you've done. It says in a it says in the in verse 7 it says Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions and the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? It's actually kind of sad to think that in this culture it was actually quite common for someone to try to pay for their sin by giving their firstborn. The firstborn representing that which is most valuable to your life. People feeling so guilty and so ashamed and so afraid of God's punishment or so desiring of his favor that they would sacrifice their firstborn son to earn God's favor. To And, and, and while we would never do something that extreme in our culture, the idea here is to think of how we might think we might try to pay for our sin, pay for our transgressions, pay for our mistakes thinking that if I were to properly pay for it or atone for it or make up for it, then I would be able to get the good life. God says, no, that's also not the way to get the good life. You can't, you can't buy it and you can't, and you can't punish yourself enough to, to earn it or to get yourself back into God's favor. It's really tapping into the themes we've seen since the beginning in Genesis that, that God wants to have a relationship with us, that we don't, it's not a relationship you can earn, and it's not a and that when we sin, it's not something you can pay for to, to atone for. God is the one that is always offering us grace and love and mercy. And we humbly come before God with simply coming before him to desire relationship. And God God has already met us there at that place, already been there ahead of us, desiring a relationship for us. And, and he pays the price for our sins and the, the way to come back into his favor himself. We don't have to earn it. But then we get this statement about what it means to be good. And it's such a powerful and famous statement in the scriptures. He says in verse 8, eight so what does it mean to be good? He says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Okay, I'm going to bring you back into the live message from this past Sunday now. What does it mean to be good? He says, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The first thing he says is to do justice. This word in Hebrew for justice is mishpat, and it almost always in the Old Testament is connected to four vulnerable groups of people. It's often that God wanted, God had a heart for those who were vulnerable. Because you think about if somebody's vulnerable, it means they don't have other people to protect them, right? It's not that God, God loves everybody equally, but in the scriptures you can read it and almost see God's special favor for those who are vulnerable. Why? Because there's no one else there for them. And God says, I'm the only one there for them. So he always built into the law, into the Old Testament, this concept that, that, that one of the highest duties of Israel, the highest duties of God's people, is to see God's heart for the vulnerable and to be God's hands and feet to protect and to bless and to lift up the vulnerable. The vulnerable in the Old Testament would have been widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. And it's not much different today. 
You have the who are the vulnerable in our society. Again, we see the poor, immigrants that are very high up on that list of being vulnerable. Also, you know, orphans, kids that are been in foster care, things like that, vulnerable. Kids, uh, widows are still vulnerable today. And the idea is that God's saying, in the world today, God has a special heart for those people who don't have someone else to lift them up. And God wants his people to be the ones that would see those needs and lift people up. It's a mark all throughout the scriptures that you love God. With, that if you love God, that you see those that God loves, and you see people, and you see the world the way God sees the world, and love the world the way God loves the world, and that means to lift people up. If you think about oppression and injustice, we all know oppression and injustice when we feel like it happens to us, don't we? Right? Like as soon as something unjust happens to you, you get pretty fired up about it. It's a, you're like, that's not, and we wouldn't say, well, that's unjust. We say, that's not fair, right? Like we're, have, we're saying that a lot right now with the way the world looks. That's not fair, right? If your work does something and you don't like the rule, you're like, that's not fair, and you get fired up about it. And, and, and But here's the thing. What God is saying is that, that when we look at the world, we shouldn't just be thinking what, what's fair for me, right? What my rights are, what my needs are, but, what, but look out at the world and other people and say, what, how are they looking at the world? What do they say is unfair about their life? Is there some way I could lift them up? And obviously, we look at a world and there's the, the amount of need is, mon, is monstrous. But, but God says, look, my, my, my people, will you see the needs around you? Can you lift someone up around you? Can you look at the, the needs in your workplace and lift people up? Can you look at the needs in your neighborhood or the needs in your home? Can you, can you reach out and affect one area of, of injustice in your community, right? And as a church, we, do, we work hard to try to embody this. We try to help every single one of our, our gospel communities, kind of like our small groups. We try to help them develop that heart for the neighborhood and for the community and say, can you touch one area in the neighborhood to bring justice? We've started foster care respite nights and, and closed closets and people and helping international students who are, who are moved here, move into their apartments and find apartments. And, and we're, we're trying to help embody this idea that, God, can we... We want to have your eyes to see the needs around our community and have your heart so that we would reach out with our hands to touch those needs and lift people up. And so to be good isn't just to be nice. It means to be an agent of, of justice, to look around and say, how can, I, how can I help people who have been treated unfairly around me? The second thing he says, he says, he says love kindness. It says, love kindness, or some translations say, love mercy. The word is actually a very famous Hebrew word called hesed, and it's often translated God's steadfast love. It's a word most often used of God. And in the way it's saying love, when it says love hesed, it's really saying love, loyal love. What's interesting there is it's not just saying do mercy or do kindness. It's the idea is it's saying I want you to love kindness. I want you to love faithful, generous love. And that word hesed isn't just like love, like loving the people that like you. No, hesed means unconditional love. 
It's God's love for Israel when they failed over and over and over and over again. And, and so when the psalmist says, talks about your unfailing love never ends, he's talking about the, the faithfulness of God to, to the world and the faithfulness of God to his people that no matter how much we mess up, God continues to pour out love. And God says, I want you to love my kindness so much. I want you to love my mercy so much. I want you to love my unconditional love for you so much that it flows out of you. So that you don't look, you no longer look at the world in terms of categories of who's right and who's wrong, but that every single person out there is an object of God's love and kindness. And I'm going to love his loving kindness so much that I'm going to look for ways to bless people. I'm going to look for ways to be kind to people. I'm going to look for ways to be generous to people. I like what Jesus said about this in Luke chapter 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. I love that idea. What benefit is that to you? He's saying if you just do the, like, the normal kind thing, it's not really benefiting your heart that much. He's saying, but when he's going to get at, but if you really love unconditionally, that's going to have great benefit to your heart. He says, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the un." grateful and the evil be merciful even as your father is merciful isn't that such a challenging verse right there but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he will be for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil be merciful even as your father is merciful now in a second i'm going to talk about the element of this where we obviously could never do this perfectly but what we're seeing is that the heart of goodness is to love unconditionally. It's to see injustice in the world, to run to meet needs. It's to love, love people who have even tried to harm you or hurt you or you don't like. I mean, look, think right now to think about the people who are so wrong. We live in a world, I mean, goodness is attached to being right and wrong, isn't it? And it's to think of those who are so wrong because of how they're approaching the pandemic, okay? I don't even want to get into all that right now. But you know who I'm talking about, who in your heart, you're stirred up and you're like, man, those people are wrong. Or man, that politician is wrong. Or man, this, this policy is wrong. It's to say, I'm going to approach this world, okay, it's not all about right and wrong. There's something more important than that. And it's loving people. Not loving people like they have to earn it or be right first for them to be an object of my kindness and my love. But I, I live a life where I'm out there, I'm pouring out kindness and love. Why? Because I want to elevate people's happiness. I want to help people's lives to be changed. And is their life going to be changed by me telling them that they're wrong? I mean, how well is that working for people on Facebook? <laughs> you guys are so wrong. Yeah, those posts don't do anything, really, I don't think. Is that how someone's going to be changed? Like, you're an idiot. You need to figure it out. That's not going to change the world. But when we love each other, 
And especially when we love at a level that's not the world hasn't seen before, and that is a love like that that's unconditional to go after our enemies, to go after the people we don't have natural affinity with, to go after the poor, to go after the vulnerable, to go after illegal immigrants, to go after whatever it is in our culture. We say, you're here, and you are worthy of God's love, not because you earned it, but because God just loves you because that's who he is, and I love his love so much that by his Spirit in me, I'm going to just pour out that kind, faithful, unconditional love. I heard a beautiful story about this this week from a, a, an example of, of this kind of kindness. It was, uh, it was one of the uh, NPR or one of those organizations. They, they, had, this, they had this thing, they, this project called StoryCorps, where they would just gather stories. And then they would play some of the best ones on, on, the, on air. And here's, and here's one... Uh, one of those recorded stories where someone just went up to record their story at a booth. They just set up these booths and people go and record their story. And, and here's the story of a man named Julio Diaz. Julio is a 31-year-old social worker from the Bronx. And every night, he is a regular, he has a regular evening routine. He ends his hour-long commute back from the city to his apartment one stop early so he can get off and go to a diner. And this diner becomes his home dinner spot. And one night, Diaz stopped off, at the, stopped off the number six train onto a nearby empty platform, and his evening took an unexpected turn. As he walked towards the stairs, a teenage boy approached him and pulled out a knife. Julio gives the boy his wallet and says, here you go. And as the boy leaves, Julio calls out, hey, wait a minute, you forgot something. If you're going to be robbing people for the rest of the night, you might as well take my coat to keep you warm. He continues, <laughs> all I wanted to do was go get dinner. And he says, all I, all I wanted to do was go get dinner. And if you really want to join me, hey, you're more than welcome to join me for dinner. And the stunned boy accepted Julio's offer. And so they go to the diner that Julio frequents. And once seated, the manager, the servers, and other staff come to say hi to Julio. And the boy is again surprised. He says, man, you know everybody here. You're even nice to the dishwasher. I don't think people actually behave like, I didn't think people actually behave that way. And so Julio asked the boy, what is it that you want out of life? And the boy sits there not knowing what to say. And when the bill comes, Julio says, well, look, I guess you're going to have to pay for this bill because you've got my money. <laughs> so if you give me my wallet back, I'll gladly treat you. So the boy hands the wallet back. Julio takes out a $20 bill and gives it to the boy, asking for his knife in return, to which the boy complies. And in Julio's words, he says, I figured if you treat people right, you can only hope they treat you right. It's as simple as it gets in this complicated world. And when you hear Julio's story, I think you hear that heart of goodness, of God's goodness, that that image bearing of God coming out in Julio to be kind and gentle and loving to someone who doesn't deserve it that day. Because God has been good to us. Goodness is like that. Treating people, blessing people for their benefit no matter how you feel about them. Tom, Tom Vander, Van, Van, I can't pronounce his last name, <laughs> but Pastor Tom says 
He says, kindness and goodness are like like a jujitsu response to the harshness of the world. The the world comes at you with with harshness, with brutality, with with just this this coming at you hard and hurtful. And jujitsu is this counterintuitive Japanese martial arts that, that, that refuses to forcefully oppose their opponent and to attack their enemy, but instead redirects the momentum of their attacker to, to against them. They redirect the, the energy of the attack to turn it into something, something good. It's that art of redirecting evil for good. It's that it's the kind of strength that chooses to believe that something that good can be gained when you don't respond to the world's harshness with more harshness. When you don't respond to people's being hurtful to you with more hurt, but instead you respond to it with goodness, being kind to people. I think when you, I don't know about you, when I heard Julio's story, it might naturally make me, actually made me, naturally made me wonder, you know, did, it, did the kid's life change? You kind of want to know how the story ended. What happened to the kid? But in the end, it's, you know, that's, we, it's that, you, know, you never really know how these acts of goodness are going to change people's lives. But that night, all of those people in the story had a chance to be changed because they loved kindness. They got to experience God's loving kindness. And they got a chance to be changed by it. By it. It's beautiful thinking of in that harsh world of New York City, city Julio looking around him and, and trying to respond to the harshness of the world he was experiencing, but respond to it with, with kindness, respond to it with softness. And I wonder if all of us, we, I think we need a little bit of that in our life today. Not, not just kindness expressed to us, not just goodness expressed to us, but, but we all need, like, like, like Jesus was saying, we need the benefits of goodness and kindness and love welling up out of us and being expressed to other people. And we all have the power to do that through God, with God's help. How much would our world be changed if we responded to the unkindness and the harshness and all of the hate and all of the finger pointing right now and all of the things we're going through and instead responding to it the way with, with the, what we're receiving and reflecting that back, but instead we recognize that we've received something greater from God. We've received his loving kindness, and I can reflect that back to a harsh world. So, so Micah says, what is goodness? What does it mean to be good? He says, he says, do justice, love kindness, and he says, walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with God. Now, this is an important way to finish off the message because when you, when you think about that level of justice and, and kindness, how many of us can really say that we're going to do that perfectly, right? Am I going to always be able to do that? Like, or am I going to have some bad days where when the harshness of the world comes against me, I'm going to respond with harshness? Probably, right? Probably this afternoon, I will, feel, I, will, I will respond harshly to someone around me. I will think harshly around, right? And so that's why he ends with, Walk humbly with God because none of us are perfect, right? None of us are going to perfectly embody God's loving kindness. Only God can perfectly uh, embody his loving kindness. And so when he says walk humbly with God, it's an acknowledgement that I am not not the source 
of justice and goodness and kindness. That it doesn't, I don't generate it apart from God. To walk humbly with God is to say, I can never live this life by myself. See, so many in our world, we want to, we would like to believe that I can define what is good, right, and perfect for myself and then go out and live that life. What the scriptures say is that's a lie, first of all, because only God is good, right, and perfect. And if you take five seconds to think about it, you'll know that you are not the source of all good, right, all that is good, right, and perfect in the world. If that's not true, if I'm not good, right, and perfect in all ways, and God is, I must approach him humbly to say, God, teach me your goodness. Teach me your righteousness. Teach me your ways, God. And I must approach God with the humility to know that when I come before him, since I am not good, right, and perfect, that I do need forgiveness. He says, how can we approach God? The whole passage is going back to that we can only approach God humbly, acknowledging that I am not God, that I have fallen short of your good, right, and perfect nature that I was made in, that I need your help, God. That is the message of the Scriptures that we need God's help. Jesus came because we need God's help, because, because we are not good, right, and perfect. But in God's perfection, He sent Jesus Christ as, an, as the ultimate demonstration of His character and kindness for us. That Jesus walks the earth and shows us kindness and goodness, and he, he dies for us on the cross as the last sacrifice that will ever be needed. Why? Because so that we might find forgiveness, so that I can confidently approach God based on the forgiveness I have received in Jesus Christ and get the help to live the life I was always made to live as an image bearer of God, learning how to walk like God, learning how to do justice and do kindness, love kindness, love mercy. We come before God with that humility saying, God, help me to grow in goodness. That is the heart of how we learn how to walk injustice and kindness. It's saying, God, I cannot do it. That when the harshness of the world comes against you and you have that bad day or that person that is so wrong and you have that bitterness in your heart and, and many of us have that. I have had it in my life for this last year or of the hurt that it's been thrown my way and it starts to grow a root of bitterness and we, I say that, and I know that my only saving grace is say, God, help me. I do not have the strength to root out all of this bitterness. I do not have the strength to constantly respond to the world with humility and kindness and justice. I want to escape from this world. I don't want to think about all the brokenness. I want to escape into my world. I don't want to have to be kind to everyone. I want to just be kind to who I like and ignore everybody else, God. It's in those times when I say, God, help me. And God, help me to remember that I needed your justice and kindness far more uh, as much as anyone in the whole world that person that i'm annoyed with right now that you i have done far worse to you god and you didn't respond by being annoyed with me you responded by loving me and being patient with me and waiting for me to turn and so i can respond to the world that way too so i hope this week you will take that challenge the challenge starts with walking humbly with God. God, will I learn will I be someone who will take this bold step to say I am not the center of the world. I am not the definition of what is good, right and perfect. 
Only God is the center of that world. And I know if you're listening to us and you're new to listening to the Scriptures and new to our church, that might sound crazy scary to you. And I'm not asking you to jump into getting baptized into the church or something like that. But I'm asking you to say, can you start with the humility to say, well, if I'm not the center and God is the center, God, would you help me to trust you? Would you help me to know your ways, God? And I would encourage everyone here to say, God, I want to know your good, right, and perfect ways as revealed in the Scriptures. If you want to start your journey, I encourage you to start reading about Jesus as he is the embodiment of what is good, right, and perfect. Start praying to Jesus, asking him to help you trust him and know his good ways in your life. And you might build a walk. And what do we do this? We do this also so that we might walk in goodness, receive God's goodness in our life, and then learn how to walk and goodness to the world around us. For those of you who want to take that challenge, I pray this week you would look out at the world and say, where, where are some injustices that I, I could help with? Where could I lift someone up this week who's had a really hard time? God, what are you calling me to, Lord? Where are you calling me to help those that are vulnerable in our community? How can I do something about it? God, start praying. Start asking God to stir your imagination for how you could creatively enter into our world with, with God's love to to help lift people up and bless people and help them grow to become the people God made them to be. I'll close with this story that inspired, that inspired me that, that all it takes is just one step of kindness to get you on the road. In a town called Paradise, California, there, there, there lived a young man named John Gilbert. When he was five years old, John was diagnosed with, with muscular dystrophy. It's this genetic, progressive, and cruel disease. He was told that, he would, that it would eventually destroy every single muscle in his body, and in a decade or so, so it would take his life. Every year, John lost something. One year, it was the ability to run. He couldn't run and play sports with the other ki kids. Another year, he could no longer walk straight, and all he could do was sit and watch others play. And at 25 years old, he... He wrote that he could no longer get around much and he could only operate a mouse and his computer. And so he wrote down his, the memoir of his life in 90 pages. And he wrote that in junior high, it was the hardest era of his life, which if you've been through junior high, as we, most of, it probably doesn't surprise you. Junior high is probably the most difficult years for anybody. But it was, it was very bad for John. He said he was bullied and humiliated until he was afraid to go to school. And no one ever stood up for him. The harshness of the world was always in his life. Maybe because they were afraid for themselves or afraid to do justice or afraid to show kindness. But he says there was other moments that were quite special. He said one year he was named the ambassador for, for muscular dystrophy in California. And he flew to Sacramento and was ushered with his mom into the governor's office for a private meeting and. He was a little kid at this point, and the governor took out a large glass of candy and, and told John to dig in. And John looked at his mom and said, he said if it was okay for him to take, and she said it was okay for him to take one piece. And, but the governor said, he said, he was the governor, and John <laughs> should do what he said. And so John stuffed his pockets with candy. And that night, the, the NFL sponsored a fundraising auction dinner at which John was a guest. And the players went up to him and, and, and hugged him and, and talked to him, and they showed him his Super Bowl rings, which he said were so big that it felt like they slid down to his wrists. And when the auction began, one item especially caught his attention. 
It was a basketball that was signed by all the players of the Sacramento Kings NBA team. And John got a little carried away when the auction began. And so when the ball was being bid on, at one point he raised his hand. And as soon as it went up, his, his, mob, his mom pulled it down. And he said in his own words, he said, astronauts never felt as many Gs as my wrist did that night. He says, bidding for that basketball went on rising to an astounding amount for an item that was not the most valuable treasure on the docket. And eventually one man named a figure that shocked the whole room. Nobody could match it. The guy went to the front and collected his prize. But instead of returning to his seat, the man walked across the room and placed the basketball. Sorry, I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff. (laughs) Placed the basketball in the small, thin hands of the boy who had admired it so intently. He put it in the hands of someone that would never dribble it down the court and never throw it to a teammate on a fast break and, and never fire, fire it from the three-point range. But John said the whole room just melted at that act of kindness. And so as we come to the close, we think, have you, have you bought a basketball for someone lately? Have you seen someone in need around you and said, I'm going to do the kind thing. Have you seen someone that no one, everyone seems to ignore, but you chose not to ignore them? Have you seen someone the world had forgotten, but God put on your heart to say that God remembers you and I remember you too? All it takes is one step to let God show us the needs around us and the brokenness around us and those who have been beaten down and say, I'm going to be the one who stands up and does something bold to do justice and to love kindness. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much for your word. We thank you, first of all, God, for your kindness to us, God, that you're like that man who bought the basketball and just lavish kindness, Lord, that you you see the desires of our hearts, God. You see the needs. You see the ways in which we have felt forgotten. And you, and you pour out your kindness to us, Lord. You pour out your kindness to us in Jesus Christ who, who came to pay for our ultimate need, and that is to have a relationship with you, God. You made a way for us to know your love and to know your kindness and to know your justice, God. And I pray today by your Spirit you would help that to become real to all of us today, that you have been kind to us, that you do justice in this world that you are good and you are doing something good in this world, Lord God. And I pray you give us all the courage to put our faith in you, God, and to put our faith in your power to help us be a part of your good plan to lift up this world, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.